There's nothing like snook hook sets at dawn or catching a tarpon in the moonlight. Find your next fishing trip made easy on fishingbooker.com and experience the magic of the Sunshine State or any other destination on your fishing bucket list. Book a blue water adventure in search of sailfish or go snapper fishing with the kids. With over 6,000 captains and trips to choose from, planning your next one just got a whole lot easier. Download the Fishing Booker app on the Google Play or App Store or visit them online at fishingbooker.com to book your trip today. You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY. Hey, this is Tyler Jones, and you're listening to The Element Podcast. What's happening, all my woods people? That is the night off of my newest release, which is Wave Two of Bright Side of the Earth. If you like it, go check it out on Spotify or iTunes. But currently, I am sitting in a hotel lobby in Flagstaff, Arizona, looking up at a big old seven by seven bull over the fireplace, and I've got KC Smith, everybody's favorite co-host, on the line right now. What's up, dude? Uh, sitting here listening to a giant thunderstorm coming in, ready to rip us to shreds. But we've got like probably I don't know twenty minutes until it like officially hits here, so we got plenty of time to do an intro. It'll be fine. <laughs> That's good. That's good. Man. <laughs> yeah, we. Uh, I've heard that y'all have been having some pretty severe storms. They said there was like uh, tornadoes in Greenville and Fort Worth this week. I guess right. Yeah, I don't know about Fort Worth stuff. Um, yeah. I guess I'm a little bit more localized. Well, I just don't get out much, but. Um, I know that Greenville had some, like, I don't know, down power lines and stuff earlier today. And then this, they haven't said any much, anything much about tornadoes. But, uh, like, there was reports of baseball-sized hail earlier oh, around deal. the area. You know, I yeah. like to hear that because it's either golf ball or softball every time. You know what I mean? I know. Like, yeah, I, I like break that. it down. Yeah, I'm like, like <laughs> yeah. Why don't we ever have, like, key lime-sized hail or something <laughs> yeah. real descriptive? You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I know exactly <laughs> what you're saying. Like, 
And I've and honestly, like the only time I've ever seen softball size hail was with my sister in law up in Denton. Uh, you know, she actually sent pictures of it. Other than that, like it's never actually been softball size that I've seen. You yeah. Know, so yeah, yeah I've, I've never seen big hail, but it's kind of scary. Well, we went through the Fort Worth storms on the way out uh, west, so that's that's kind of how I knew about it. Um, we didn't hit any tornadoes or see anything, but it was pretty nasty, and we hit a lot of rain. Um, but, uh, as most of you people know that are listening to the podcast or have been listening, uh, I, I am on a trip out West right now. We left and stayed in Midland the first night. And then the last two nights we stayed out in the Gila wilderness and Casey, Ooh. did you get all the points I sent you today? I did not. I've been doing church stuff tonight, so yep. I haven't really got to look at a lot of stuff. I saw some pictures, um, that you'd sent me. Yep. It looked like y'all went to the South part of the unit and hung out down there a good bit. Uh, well, we were there, but we were also, I mean, we were smack dab in the middle of it. At, yeah, were you? I, I sent you pictures from, from the mi- very middle of it. Um, and then videos from the south end of it. Yeah. Yeah. So all okay. that stuff, all the pictures are from like, probably like 10 miles from where we're going to be hunting or so, I imagine. Cool. I got to spend yeah. about 10 seconds looking at them earlier. So yeah. I, I'm looking forward to getting to dive into a little bit more. Yeah. 10 or 15 miles. I don't know. I was looking at it yeah. earlier. I didn't get a real good good look at how the actual distance was but yeah anyway sweet yeah so you got i got you a little bit of reference there hopefully it's kind of hard nice. to tell it's cell phone videos but did see yeah. a dead cow elk somebody had smoked on the road um oh, they do exist there That's not good well to know. it wasn't there it was actually in a, a different part of new mexico uh oh, not, man. not too far from there but yeah but they do live there man um saw some cool country today uh, have a lot of exciting things to talk about uh, in regards to that, but we're not gonna we're gonna kind of uh, forego talking about that kind of stuff uh, on this episode, uh, and maybe wait till next week when I have a few more uh, adventures under my belt. Um, because this week we have a really awesome guest in Tony Peterson, um, who has written for all kinds of public publications. Uh, Casey, you want to kind of run through kind of his accolades, I guess, a little bit. Yeah, uh, Tony's been writing for uh, everybody, it seems like, forever, and he's not much older than us, so he's been doing it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I think he's, I mean, name him off, he's been publishing them, but he wrote for uh, Peterson's Bow Hunting for a while. Mm-hmm. I think he's wrote for Bow Hunting Magazine a lot, uh, Outdoor Life, Illustream, mm-hmm. The Works, and then now he's doing the Hunt for Real podcast, which is a, a pretty cool, really cool, like more conceptual type of hunting podcast you know not so much like how to kill a big buck in five different ways but a lot more about that human element that's kind of really kind of fun to tap into you know Mm -hmm. the hunting story is something that's kind of undervalued uh in media but it's highly valued if you're a hunter Mm -hmm. and he's kind of tapping into that deal yeah dude he's uh we got pretty conceptual on this podcast and man like I don't know how like focused it was, but uh, we kind of hopscotched around. But we had some pretty good talk, man. I thought it was yeah, a and, lot uh, of fun. We're pretty hyped about going out of state and hunting some more. Dude, so. <laughs> uh, how much money can I can I make to uh, buy these out of state tags? I need more. I don't of it. know. I don't know. I think uh, after talking to you and how much Iowa costs. I was like, I don't know if I want to do it. And then after talking to, to Tony, I'm like, yeah, I want to go do that. That still <laughs> sounds like something I want to do. Yeah. So, yeah, well, it's good. I'm looking up at this bull right now in this lobby, and I'm like, uh, I'm glad I'm sp- I'm building points here in Arizona because mm. it's just a little hotel lobby bull, you know. I don't know what he scores, but he's got seven on each side. So, Ooh. <laughs> pretty much, if he got seven on each side, they're guaranteed to score pretty good. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like 
it's kind of like a 12 point white tail, you know, like they're going to score good just because they got some extra points, that's man. That's right, man. That's right. It's And we're all about that gross too, you know? So, <laughs> yeah, exactly, man. It, it don't matter where they, that's right. It don't matter where it comes from. I saw a bull the other day, speaking of bulls, um, I, I watch, uh, videos on YouTube and just practice field judging bulls a lot. And actually Jay Scott's got some that are set up for that. Mm-hmm. And one of those bulls had just like an extra brow time. Like wasn't mm. a three, wasn't a two. It was just another brow tine that was full size. That's like it's a, like, dude, that's like fourteen or fifteen inches extra right there. <laughs> yeah, that puts it's you like, almost like two on. classes above. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He goes from a three forty to a three fifty five. That's a lot. <laughs> yeah, you know, dude, that's Golly. like a four leaf clover right there, man. I know, man. Gotta that's the you. one I'm looking for when we go out there. The <laughs> <laughs> old, old extra brow. That's we'll right, find man. Him. Eb, eb. <laughs> I think he, I think there's one in there where where I Is was it? at, man. It was, it was remote, man. I, I I can't wait to tell you more about it, but uh, yeah, I was I was I'm pretty uh, pretty stoked about what we got coming on. Uh, we're actually going to the Grand Canyon tomorrow, so pretty All excited. Right. That's yeah. cool. Yeah, so uh, big deal, you That's know. That's the place. <laughs> Can I tell you a story real quick? Yeah, I would love to hear um, this. Uh, so my wife the other day was like, "What's that one place that people?" <laughs> people go to and it's like the one it's like a vacation spot and like uh i don't know <laughs> and it's like she's like yeah we go, we're gonna see it in colorado it's like the rio grande or something and i was like uh well we got the rio grande in texas and then there's rio grande in colorado she's like you don't want to go to the rio grande <laughs> the rio grande and like um i mean I'd like to catch a cutthroat there, but <laughs> yeah. I mean, the river ain't nothing special. And she's like, uh, wait, let me look this up. And she starts looking, she starts looking. She says, oh, the Grand Canyon. <laughs> the Grand Canyon's what people go to, not yeah. the Rio Grande. <laughs> no, not the same thing, girl, not no, the same thing. Slightly different, yeah, but it's more a like bit a different, different state. A little more know. of a wonder. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, dude. There's a there's a Rio in there though. It's uh the Col- Colorado, right? Yeah, the Rio yeah. Colorado, the the Western Colorado, yeah. not the Texas Colorado. That's right. Yeah, it's a, it's uh, confusing at times, but dude, uh, you can't co- you can't convince my granddad that those are different rivers. <laughs> you can't. It's the Colorado River. That's funny, dude. That's cool. dude, I know it. <laughs> dude, I, uh, if there's one thing, man, I would love to do is is a, a float trip on that you know through the through the canyon basically on the colorado fishing and stuff i think that'd be cool man i think that'd yeah. be awesome but i probably won't be doing that this time around well um, i think you gotta like put in for the permit like a ways in advance yeah it's a I, it's from what i understand if you don't do it with a guide you're kind of an idiot yeah so, i don't know i don't know that's just that's just me reading stuff but yeah i think it'd be so cool to that it's kind of a top-notch thing that I like to do, but being that we're going to be gone so much and moving around and hotels here and there, we're just trying to not to spend another three, four hundred bucks to hire a guide, you know, or whatever to do yeah, that. No so we're just going to see the yeah. canyon and uh, see the couple of the units I'm going to be hunting in the next few years for elk, hopefully. <laughs> cool. Hey, uh, can you hear this thunder on my end? Yeah, dude. I didn't. I thought that was wind noise. That's awesome. No. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Well, it's yeah. about to get wild there, so. I guess we will uh, probably hear from Tony then. I think uh, the night we talked to Tony, it was pretty stormy too. Man, it's just stormy weather around here. It's just a, it's just an omen of things to come. It's just going to be a wild, crazy, stormy fall. That's and right, I mean, stormy man. like 
We're going to be storming the bulls. Oh, baby. Storming the bucks. <laughs> They're going to be thunder in the hills, man. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love it. I love oh. it. All right. Well, let's, let's get Tony on the phone, man. Sounds good. All right. All right, so now on the phone we have Tony Peterson. He's an outdoor writer and the host of the Hunt for Real podcast, which is a new one that is in the podcast world. What's up, Tony? Not much, man. I'm just uh, chilling up here in Minnesota. Minnesota. You're a world apart from us, man. <laughs> Actually, I shouldn't say chilling because it does not feel uh, like Minnesota today. It yeah. is It is smoking out there today. Man, It's. Uh, I bet you it's cooler here where we're at than it is where you're at right now. We uh we had a pretty major cold front come through this week. We've had so much rain and it's been crazy. But uh, I'd say uh, I've been I spent some time in Minneapolis. We actually did. A, we were talking about this off the air. We did a fly fishing uh, video in in the. It's like a, it was like a part of our urban first one of our urban series that we were going to do, and mm-hmm. um, it was muggy man up there. So I, I guess <laughs> that just comes from there being a lot of water in the area. But it's. Uh, we we know what it's like to to have a humid climate here in East Texas. So, wh- wh- where were you guys fishing up here? <clears throat> oh, wouldn't you like to know? <laughs> and we were right downtown, uh, Minnehaha. Yeah, that's Is right. That ring a bell? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, I was just curious because when you say you're actually in the cities. Um, it's just interesting to me. I mean, there's there's water everywhere up here to fish. Yeah, yeah. I first learned that. So I've told you before. I have family up there that. Uh, my granddad was from Ely, and then I've got family that live on Gold Lake up near Brainerd, and uh, yep. and um, so I went up there and visiting, you know, back you know when I was a little kid, riding around on a bicycle, and it's just like a lake on every block, you know, and you could go catch like little, what do you call them, uh, uh, hammer handle pike or something yeah. like that, and that what y'all call them, hammer handles or something. Yeah. You can call them lots of stuff. We call them slime darts. Slime darts, I like that. That's better. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, you know those. They're nice for kids. Yeah. Um, you know, a lot of people don't like them, but if you're if you're running a couple of little kids out there on the lake, it's it's not so bad having a population of little northern pike out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. What's the uh, what's your eating fish up there? What do you like to eat? Um, I can't eat fish. Actually, I'm allergic to fish. Really? Oh and no, that's terrible. I know, and I have fished a lot. I I don't I can't prove this because I don't know how you could, but I think I hold the record for most fish cleaned by a guy who can't eat fish. <laughs> And it's 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 no good but you know up here the big thing is crappies and walleyes yeah that's yeah. what everybody wants to catch and eat you yeah know? my cousins always feed me sunnies they like they really like sunny which yeah. i guess is like what we call brim or perch or sunfish but yep. that's that's what they like to eat. they fillet out and then you know little bitty fillets that are i don't know the size of a bite uh, size yeah they're like bite <laughs> size right but they take the flying time to fillet those little things but they're good it's a it's a different yeah. type of fish for sure they use that kind of malt vinegar flavor on them and stuff it's a lot different than your southern fried catfish but it's a good different it's a lot different yes. yeah yeah it's pretty yeah. tasty do you uh venture off in the lutefisk world very often well i don't because <laughs> i like i like living uh, <laughs> but i i don't i I know that's a like a badge of pride that Minnesotans have, and it, you know it's like we we pretend that we're hardy because we have horrible winters, but really all we do is complain about them and hate them. Yeah. But and it, the the lutefisk thing is kind of the same way. It's like one of those things. A lot of it's to me, it's like the all day sit in in the whitetail world. Like everybody talks about it, and there's like seven people actually doing it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, I totally feel it. And and uh, speaking of that kind of thing. 
Uh, Minnesota was the first place I ever felt zero degrees, and I don't think I ever want to feel it again. <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, it's just too cold. That was I think we were up there for Thanksgiving, and me and my dad like what we do. Anywhere we go, if you don't get to hunt, you drive out, you get out and drive around, look for deer, you know, and yep. uh, that's what we were doing. Got out early one morning. It was zero degrees. There's a tarantula on the road. I haven't seen one of those in a while. Sorry. Anyways, <laughs> 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 I saw a rabbit there. Uh, yeah, Texas, right? Tarantulas. Anyways, uh, <laughs> uh, it was zero degrees, and, uh, like, it just felt like your face was going to fall off. So, uh, Did y'all see any I, deer? I think we saw a few, but I yeah. really couldn't open my eyes, so... It was uh, yeah, just like that. Zero, zero sucks. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's it's a hard thing, man, to go sit on a tree stand when it's that cold. I mean, it's you you can layer up, and you know if you have something that breaks, you know, that'll block the wind pretty good. I mean, you can do it, but it's just you're you're running on a certain amount of time. You know, I mean, a, a couple hours, and you're you're most if you're in like an open air tree stand, you're gonna be it's gonna be rough. You yeah, know? if you're out pheasant hunting or something and you're moving you can get used to that but just sitting there especially if there's a lot of times there's like a north real strong north wind with that cold weather and man it it's not much fun yeah man we always casey and i will see like a a dude going and getting in some big enclosed blind and not to name anybody here but i just think of redneck blinds you know and we're always looking at each other like oh goodness like for real you know (laughs) but the thing is we don't hunt in that kind of weather so we don't know we don't know what that's like you know i mean it's bearable most of the time in a tree stand for us yeah i mean that box blind thing's weird right i mean it's i i totally get why people want to do it and it's a great option if you have kids or if that's just your thing but i i feel i've i've sat in a few of them and i always feel this weird disconnect yeah you know it's like it's 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 you know i i couldn't imagine uh spending too much time each fall in one of those things because you're just you're just like sort of removed from nature in a weird way and you know like some people love it more power to them but i feel weird yeah yeah for sure and what's funny is uh for different reasons, uh, probably just laziness and the fact that we do a lot of rifle hunting in Texas. Like, I grew up in a box blind a whole lot of my life, and now I, I haven't sat in one in years, and I can't imagine going back to it for the exact reason you're saying. You know, it's kind of like, <clears throat> I don't know, it, you, you just might as well just open up your back window in your house and do the same thing. And, and if, <laughs> if you do that, it's fine. You know, it's just, for me, there's something cool about climbing up in a tree or like finding a little hidey hole on the ground. You know, it's just kind of part yep. of the fun of hunting. Yep. I mean, it, it, for sure. I agree a hundred percent. And you know, I think it's partially cause we're, we're seeing that movement, the box blind movement up here. And I really, you know, 10 years ago, you wouldn't see it, Yeah. you know, and now you drive by fields and you see that. And I, and I think part of it, you know, it's a function of availability and they've, they've just become more popular, but I think part of it is just like, you know, everybody has their 40 acres or everybody has their like one spot and you know the whitetail world if you're not a public land guy you're you're a lot of times sitting in one spot that you're trying to make the best possible spot mm-hmm. so you know if you have the food plot and put in water or whatever like you that's just the spot and it's like well if you're going to sit one place mostly then people are just more inclined to make it as comfortable as possible yeah for sure so speaking of the public land game, you do a lot of that, man. And I got a, I got a weird question that just kind of popped into my mind because we were talking about fishing a lot uh, just earlier. And um, how come everybody wants to talk about public land right now in the hunting space? Uh, and But 
like dudes have been fishing public lakes forever and you never hear anybody yeah i caught them on public you know what i mean i caught that fish on public you know <laughs> yeah what's the I, what's the what's the difference there man why is there this movement um because it's i think we're just accustomed to having public water and so everybody's on the <clears> same playing field but i think in the the hunting world we're we're kind of like course correcting from dominant the public or i mean the private land hunting situation has been like portrayed media wise like we've been we've been fed a lot of information for a long time from guys who are hunting really primo properties and you know the general public looks at that and goes i don't i don't have that like i'm they they get burned out on that type of information so i think we're kind of just we bent way out we had a few people fill those fill the need you know we've had the Renellas and the Newbergs of the world come out and say you know I'm a public land guy and there's like a there's like a skill level attached to that that you can't really honestly attach to somebody who's hunting deer that have been babysat their whole lives <laughs> and highly managed right. you know and, and so I think and again like hey you, you, do you whatever you want to do I don't care but I think that's like the general perception is like well everybody's fishing public so we're kind of on the same you know, not everybody. I mean, there's private farm ponds and stuff like that. But generally, if you say you're going fishing, I think people mostly assume you're going to public waters. But hunting, you know, like there's an awful lot of private land hunting out there. And, and people have just taken it as like a, a like a little badge of pride to be a public land. Hunter. Sure. So yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, the vegan or the marathon runner like they're gonna tell you you yeah. know yeah for sure yeah well, mostly crossfitters i think like to tell you that they do that but um no yeah, uh so true. so but here okay so as a as a member of the media then why um why were we fed in the hunting space this uh primo private land property uh managed property thing for x amount of decades or whatever it was or you know it's, it's still are i guess to an extent um, but how come we never uh, we never visited that you know, from the beginning of hunting media or fishing media? You know what I mean? Why why did we? Well, we we did. Well, so here's the thing about that: some of the people who made it big in early fishing were were kind of doing what some of the people in the hunting media have done, and it, w- it wasn't nearly as common. But I some of those guys were fishing places that you and I couldn't get to sure, without yeah. writing it. Yeah. It, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't known. And the thing that the thing that changed fishing a little bit was, you know, BASS has been out a long time, and there was like a different feel towards some kinds of fishing because there was competition on public water, and people were seeing the experts fishing places you could go to fish any weekend you wanted to, you know. Uh-huh. And there was like a mixing of that that tournament world and the professional media. But even I think I think part of it is part of it is that, and I think part of it is people don't put the same value on a four pound largemouth that they do a hundred forty inch whitetail. Yeah, yeah. You know, like yeah. my my kids can catch a four pound largemouth off the dock by accident. They're never going to arrow a hundred forty inch whitetail by accident. Yeah, right. Yeah, you know? and yeah, so for I sure. think we just I think we just kind of like we let the fishing thing slide because it doesn't mean as much. Right. So. How I mean, okay, so competition essentially, if I'm hearing you right, is what kind of brought uh, brought the fishing movement into the public spectrum, I guess, a little bit earlier than hunting. So, like, I guess, why is there no competition for hunting? 
Or, I know there are. I mean, we had the Los Cazadores Big Buck Contest, you know, all these different ones down in South Texas especially. But um, it still doesn't, you know, those are still private land. It's not like, hey, we're all going to go out on public this weekend and we're going to see who can shoot uh, the four heaviest squirrels or whatever, you know. <laughs> um, well, that's a good question. I never thought about that. I mean, I think... I think part of it is a function of hunting not being a very good spectator sport. Okay. And so, you know, fishing, you can watch somebody catch a fish and nobody's going to cry over a largemouth getting a spinnerbait stuck through his face, right? Yeah. Mm. But the general public does not want to see a deer get shot. And I think it's just a function of, you know, like hunting is a lot of times kind of an ugly thing when it, when it goes right. Like when you, like if you're not used to it, you know, you and I, we see a deer get shot behind the lungs, and we're like, that's perfect. That deer's going to run 50 yards, the lights are going to go out, and it's awesome. A lot of people don't have the same reaction to that. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And so it's just it's just a different thing, man. And, you know, the, it's, it would be very hard to find a situation where you could take, you know, 10 hunters, let alone 150, and be like, all right, we're going to let you go in this, you know, however big a place, and you have you know, three days to scout, three days to hunt, and whoever kills the biggest buck is the winner. Like, I think it would be, I think there'd be a lot of cheating. <laughs> I think it would be, a, <laughs> I think it'd be a nightmare. Yeah. Yeah. There's already a bunch of cheating in the, uh, the hunting spectrum and fishing too. Yeah. There's always guys getting thrown out of tournaments and stuff. Do you think that, uh, oh, well, I've, we've been kind of invited to do a couple different and it's just, you know, widespread, you know, somebody casting a big net trying to get something going, but like, one was some elk hunting competition where they, you know, score you on biggest elk you kill in Colorado public land. Another was a whitetail thing, you know, or whatever. And I don't know, it just feels, it feels so wrong. And it feels, it feels icky, you know. It feels a little bit like, uh, I don't know, uh, like just something that is uh, perverse. But at the same time, I don't mind fishing tournaments at all. And I don't, so, you know, like why? Why do you think is that the general consensus by a lot of people? You think, and then why do you think that is? I think it. I think you hit the nail on the head there, man. I think it's an intuitive thing where if I can, if I go and fish a tournament and I put my five in the live well, at the end of the tournament, those those bass swim away. Yeah, you know, that resource is still there. You know, hopefully, you know, once in a while you hear about fish dying off if the water's really warm or something. You know, something happens in the holding tanks or something, but that's that's an anomaly. But when you're going to go kill something, you know, especially something like a deer or what elk, whatever, there's something to that. Like you don't want to, you don't want to, you don't want to cheapen it, or you don't want to just turn it into that like a means to an end. Like, well, you want to win something because you murdered this thing. You know, yeah. like it's a weird. It's yeah. just it just doesn't work like we i think we intuitively know or most of us intuitively know that we don't like want to turn it into that like we want we want the process to go away where we feel like we earned it and there's something special to that what's ironic is that most of those fish in the tournaments die too so it's kind of like (laughs) well a lot of them you just don't see it you know i think they've gotten you know we we've had some issues with that up there and i think that they've gotten better about their timing and their handling because they've had bad i mean there's been some bad publicity around that yeah oh yeah well you see these guys get pulled into these giant giant gymnasiums or whatever and they rip a couple fish out by their jaws and they're flinging them around you know it's it's not a good look really when you think about (laughs) it no and it's not you know like that's not the proper way to handle them i get it yeah 
yeah for sure but uh anyways i don't know it's just kind of weird how um and i don't know if i sometimes do get this feeling but like for instance i was telling you earlier how we caught a pretty big striper one time on a fly rod and like for some reason like that that experience felt a little sacred but like today i got a couple little ones in the in the cooler you know, so something about yeah. that fish or about that, and I guess it's kind of the trophy thing that we get a little bit more of in hunting. But, uh, yeah. you know, you said well ago how you don't want, like we don't want it to feel like a means to an end. And uh, you're an outdoor rider. You've been in the riding space for quite a while, pretty successful at it. Um, I was actually listening to your show here a while back, and uh, you brought up media hunts, which really, really isn't something that I knew much about at all. And I don't really know if I want to know a ton about them, but can you tell us? Uh, I guess I'm well, just going to inflict some some pain on myself, but tell us a little bit about what a media hunt is. Yeah, I mean it's you know they're they can vary widely, right? But yeah. what happens is you know take a bow company or take a broadhead company or you know somebody endemic to the space, and you know their marketing person or whoever will say you know. We need to we need to get some love on this stuff, or we need to get some testing done on these arrows or whatever. And they'll they'll get a hold of a budget, and figure out you know we can go down to Texas and do an axis hunt, or we can go to South Dakota and do an antelope hunt or something. And they'll invite members of the media to go along, and you know obviously with the with the expectation that they're going to get some you know print or digital love, or they'll film something. And they're fairly common. Uh, you know, there's there's quite a few invites you get when you kind of get on the on the list, and they can be really cool, or they can be kind of a goat rodeo. And you know, for <laughs> me, for for me personally, I've been on some that that were really interesting and experiences that I would have never got to do on my own. Yeah, and and that's that's cool. Uh, but I just I'm I'm kind of at the point where I'm really selective about that, and typically. If I say yes to anything like that, it's because it's something I could just never conceive of, like, you know, being able to afford on my own or the people going are people I just really want to see. Yeah. You know, like, because you, you, when, you, when you've been doing what I do for a long time, you kind of like, yeah, friends who you see at shows or, you know, I have buddies I talk to every couple of days who I see like once a year and it's usually hunting. And so once in a while, something will come up where like three of my really good friends or, you know, long distance friends are going to be on there. I'm like, man, I, I want to see these people. But it's just a it's just a function of getting some getting some love out there in the uh, media world on, you know, some kind of product. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, I got you. What's the uh, so let's talk about the good side of things. Like what's the coolest hunt that you've got to go do as a like a media member? Um, I got to hunt Argentina for ducks oh, nice. uh, two Ooh. years ago, and honestly, so I've, I've got to do Africa and I got to do Argentina, and both of them, the hunting was not really my thing. Like, just wasn't it wasn't very difficult. That the, the Argentina duck thing was so cool, but it wasn't like a difficult duck hunt. I yeah. mean, it was like it was a thousand times easier than any duck hunt I've ever done here. <laughs> uh, li- literally. And, you know, like the Africa thing, the hunting is not, that was not my thing. I, I wouldn't, the only thing I would ever go back to Africa to hunt is a Cape Buffalo if I could spot stock them. Yeah. And that's never going to happen, so I can say that, you know. <laughs> like, you sit water? I, I, what? Did you sit water over there? Yeah. Yeah. And 
I didn't, I was, I was like 26. I didn't, I had no idea. I got, I just got really, really lucky. And I got the invite when I got my first job in the industry. Yeah. And I really, I was like pretty naive going over there. I didn't know what Africa was like. I didn't, I just, I just didn't know. I mean, I, I had never even, I couldn't even fathom that before I got that job, you know, like it wasn't even, it would be like going to Mars and, <laughs> you know, but the, the thing about it was both of those trips being in those countries, being in places where you're like, I would never go there otherwise. And seeing the people and meeting the people that, that to me, it, you know, like it wasn't, the hunting wasn't what made it amazing, mm-hmm. you know, like get, getting way out of your element. And, you know, like Argentina, for example, is, you know, I, I think it would probably be considered a second world country. I don't you, know, you wouldn't call it a third world country, but it's definitely not, you know, like a lot of Europe or the U S um, but just seeing the people and their attitude and like they're really health conscious down there. And it just, it was fascinating. And so that part of it is like the, the experience is incredible. Yeah. No, it's it's, awesome. It sounds really cool. And that, that, uh, I kind of <laughs> had a similar experience, not with hunting, but, uh, I was privileged to go to Costa Rica, which is, you know, it's kind of that Latin America, same kind of vibe or whatever, where it's not like, they don't have everything that like a, a Western, country you know in air quotes would have but like it's just so cool to see like the community aspect of those countries down there like that and like the i don't know it's just the culture is so rich and i guess maybe it's because it's not so much of a blend as what we have here in america i don't really know but like it's i spent 10 days there uh 12 years ago and it's still something i think about every day you know it's it's like it's a cool travel's a cool thing man and i know it's so like white girl to say right but like it's just like one of the cool things it's like but like it really can like it it opens your world up a little bit and just kind of sees lets you see what people do differently in other places because you know it's just so much you can read in national geographic before you kind of glaze over about like what actually is going on other places well a hundred percent and it's you know i'm i'm starting to kind of become obsessed with this idea or I guess I don't know if it's an idea, but maybe like a trend I see among hunters where it's like you, we view wildlife management a lot of times through the scope of our little hunting situation. Yeah. So, you know, let's say if you, you know, in Minnesota here, for example, you might have 40 acres to hunt or 80 acres that your grandpa owns. And it's really easy to think about like deer management or turkeys or whatever through the scope of your experience on that property. Cause that's where you spend your time. Yeah. But there's an entire world happening in your County and then in your state and then in the country where people are having vastly different experiences and everybody's kind of looking through their own lens. And it's like, it's real easy to sort of get sucked into that xenophobic uh, perspective. But when you go way out of your comfort zone and it, you know, it doesn't have, you don't have to go to, south america or you know the you know anywhere like that i mean it to be a whitetail hunter and to go elk hunting is like okay this is a different world like it's it's i think all of that stuff is just good for us not only as hunters but just humans like just just to see what's going on outside of our bubble yeah yeah for sure yeah well um and that's kind of uh you're talking about like counties and states and stuff there it's kind of firsthand for you i know that uh uh, Minnesota had some pretty controversial CWD um, protocol that kind of was instated this past year. Uh, what's that? What's going on up there with that situation right now? Uh, it's not good, man. Yeah, um, it's it's not good any way you slice it. Um, you know, my my 
gut instinct is that our DNR has two pages in the playbook, and one is knock the herd back and give science a chance to catch up and maybe come up with a, a better testing system. You know, we, we need something for live deer, and we need something, like, immediately, a, a cheap post-mortem-like uh, test. We need yeah. something, like... You know, you guys, all of us can go buy for 10 bucks or whatever and yeah. test our deer, you know, some strip or something. And think, I, I don't know this. You know, I, I haven't interviewed anybody on CWD in a couple of years because I got real burned out on it. <laughs> but what, what I think they're doing is they're just like, well, if we let it go, which is the other playbook, if we just, the other page in the playbook, if we, if we just let it go, like we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. But if we, if we knock the, the herd back, you know, maybe science will come through because they're asking for funding through the University of Minnesota for research. And I think they're just like, we don't know what to do. And the best thing we can think of is knock down the density and cross our fingers that science comes up with something. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I don't I think that's happening in a lot of states because you look at the protocol for a discovery in quite a few of the states and it's a similar thing. It's not, you know, people will call it a scorched earth thing. It's it's not. I mean, they're they're. They're going after them, and they'll do a sharpshooter thing and stuff like that. And like, I'm I'm not much of a fan of that because I really like the deer and I like the hunting. But at the same time, like, I sort of I sort of sympathize with like their situation because I just don't think they feel like they have too many options. So it's it, it all in all, long winded way to say it really sucks. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's kind of the uh, the basis or verbatim of just cwd in general across the country it's like it just really stinks man and uh nobody really knows what to do it's kind of the hot potato you know like here let's just yep. throw it away throw this over here and see what happens i, I don't know it's, yep. and uh texas is so widespread with such a big state and then you've got all this you know uh whether it's exotic game or you know fenced whitetails or whatever just all that going on it's the same it's it's not the same as that y'all have going on but it's a completely separate but also serious issue with just how it's crazy how you just hear about the the next new case and it's not the county over it's 200 miles away and you're like well how did yeah. that happen let's just connect the yeah. dots here it's kind of ridiculous but uh, yeah. whatever. so outside of your you know the bubble that you spoke about uh, earlier you know what's your you know obviously you've been and seen and done and that kind of thing but what uh like what hunt do you wish uh somebody would be like hey come do this with us or whatever what's the what's the dream hunt man um you know probably anything that's like feels pretty far out of reach you know so any kind of sheep hunt yeah uh, mountain goat something like that that i just conceivably logistically would be really hard to make happen you know whether it's the whether it's just the odds of drawing a tag or the price tag or whatever so you know just I would I would love to hunt one of those mountain species that's like you know you're going into like like a legit high country alpine scary you know like that that kind of opportunity I don't care what kind of sheep what kind of you know goat it was like that I that appeals to me because I just think you know if you're gonna do that if if you're gonna get a chance to do that like that's gonna probably be a once in a lifetime thing and you're gonna like there's just gonna be so much motivation for like you know you we made fun of the crossfitters before but it's gonna be like man you you know you're gonna go do that you're gonna be working hard to make sure you get the most out of that hunt yeah oh yeah yeah for sure dude i 
I can relate because KC drew a, a really good elk tag. I don't know if y'all talked about this at any point, but uh, he drew a Gila tag um, this yep. year. So um, I've been trying to make sure that uh, you know I'm not the slowest guy in the in the pack that goes <laughs> on this hunt. So yeah, I've yeah. been working hard. He man. talked me into a Taco Bell burrito tonight. So <laughs> <laughs> I guess we won't. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So. But no, and that's that's a cool hunt, man. Like. Uh, I I watch some YouTube videos sometimes, and I don't really have like the sheep passion. Like I think a doll would be cool in Alaska, but like I don't have that bug, which I guess a lot of guys don't until they shoot one and they're like go crazy about it. But yep. I do enjoy those like adventure stories of guys who go over to like uh, you know Central Asia and hunt them at like fifteen thousand feet and stuff like that. It's just yep. it's so cool and so foreign that it's like almost it's hunting but it's just a completely different thing you know and i think yeah. that that would be neat to see i would i would read your story about that for sure <laughs> yeah. i mean i would i, I would be 100 percent content to do something in north america yeah. you know yeah. i mean i don't I, when you see those those dudes going to the himalayas or wherever i mean that's just you know, my thing about that kind of stuff is like it would just be harder to get information about i'm not saying i wouldn't do it if somebody was like hey bro you want to go we're at Tajikistan to do something cool. I'd probably do it, but I like, I, you know, I like something a little more domestic, whether it's the lower 48 or Alaska or Canada, where at least you could like do a lot of research and figure, you know, like try to figure something out for yourself. You know, yeah. I, I just, I think it would be a lot harder if you were heading to another continent. You know? Sure, man. Yeah, Onyx yeah. doesn't really work up, you know, in Tajikistan, so it'd be kind of tough. I don't <laughs> really know. Probably it does not. I, I don't know how you. I don't know how you navigate, and I don't know. That's. Uh, I really like. I value this in, in multiple ways, but I value self reliance as like something <clears> I enjoy, and I also value it, value it in someone else too. Like when someone is is self reliant and can manage on their own, like I I I, I give them a gold star, right? And. Yep whenever you go on a trip like that like you just have to just succumb to being guided at that point in time like there's no semi or whatever like some guy is going to walk you around unless you shoot sheep which it's going to be an awesome experience either way but like there's you just lose that i don't know and you i hate to say diy because that seems to be like the the cliche acronym for things these days but you know you lose any aspect of that right and that's kind yeah. of i don't know what you and i started talking about was just the uh eh, kind of that drive to to go on hunts like that where you get to go yeah. and do your own thing so um tell us a little bit about like what you do as a hunter nowadays well, so let's back up for a second because okay. that, that's so interesting to me because when, I, when I'm when i thinking about, like, when I say a sheep or a mountain goat hunt or something, I'm thinking about a DIY hunt. Yeah. Like, when I'm, I'm thinking, so when I'm thinking from the perspective of, like, a media hunt, that perspective, I'm thinking, like, somebody's paying for my way to get up there and I'm hunting with a few people I might not choose. But I'm not, I, it's interesting that it comes off that way because I wasn't, in my head, I'm not thinking about that. But Oh, I wouldn't say probably, that you were. I was just saying, like, those Tajikistan-style hunts or whatever, oh, when you yeah, go yeah, when yeah. you go over there, like, it's a safety thing at that point in time where, you know, there might yeah. be a guy with an AK across the mountain and you need a guy that <laughs> speaks his language on your side, you know. But, yeah, no, you, yeah, I, I know what you're saying about the lower 48 kind of stuff, for sure. Yeah, if you're if you're going to do something crazy exotic, you're you're just accepting the fact that you're <laughs> you're, you're following a local up the mountain, probably yeah. a whole team of them. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. No, I hear that. So, sorry. Sure. Anyway, I just wanted to clear that up because I I think that's interesting because I, I when you were saying that I'm like, oh man, he thinks I'm talking about guided hunts, and then I'm like, well, yeah, we're talking about sheep hunts. Probably everybody would be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's really the thing that kind of. Um, 
I don't know. Well, not the thing. The thing is money that holds me back. But uh, another thing about like the Alaska thing is uh, you have to be outfitted to go hunt a doll, right? Or, isn't that the thing? Like you have to or have a next of kin or something like that. And like, yes. I just don't really want to do it that way. And I, don't, I haven't explored it because I just am not financially where I could do it right now. You know, and I don't want to tempt myself to do something stupid. But like, I don't. I just to have it. I don't want it to be, um, you know, muddied by that side of the experience you know i want what yeah. you're talking about where it's the whole uh self-guided kind of thing it just that sounds cool yeah yeah i think i mean you know with with any kind of sheep or mountain goat you're like obviously severely limited i think mountain goat you'd probably have a few more options for unguided mm-hmm. but overall you know i just it, it's unfortunate right i mean it's it's like you see a lot of these opportunities sort of, you know, these keystone species, they sort of bend toward the, you know, obviously they're high dollar because of the demand, but then also they sort of become built, the opportunities become built around the outfitting industry. And yeah. so it's just like you kind of check some stuff off your list, like, well, that's probably never going to happen because they don't want it to happen that way. Yeah. Yeah. Not to mention the the markup on what it already costs to get up there and do the hunt for to have an outfitter that's required of you, you know, in British Columbia or Alaska yeah. or whatever it might be. So, yeah, for sure, man. So, you know, I guess we kind of are starting to understand here, like, what Tony Peterson stands for and what, what he looks at, what he values. Um, and, you know, with all this, you're kind of like right now you're making a move into the podcast world. Um, and I kind of just want to talk about like how, um, I guess how you've gotten to this point where these are the things you, you believe and you value and how writing, uh, might have, um, led you to this or, and, or media hunts or whatever it might've been your experiences as being an outdoor writer. Um, and then also maybe kind of talk about, you know, I guess the, the burning question here is, you know, do you see outdoor writing going away anytime in the future? Oh gosh, I hope not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I hope it sticks around for about 25 more years anyway, but you know, it's, it's changing, man. You know how we're consuming media is changing and the thing I I love to write, I'm always going to write, you know what I mean? I, I I write books. Like I don't, that's just something I'm wired to do. Like I, you know, I'm I'm sure you guys, you're wired to be outside. Like I'm wired to be outside. There's certain things that we just kind of have to do to be happy, Mm -hmm. you know? And some of us, like you got to pet a dog. Like if you see a dog walking by, you're going to go over and pet that thing. It's just like, (laughs) it's just just the way you're wired. Mm -hmm. And so the outdoor writing thing for me, like I love writing. I'll always do it. But the way people are consuming information has changed. And the problem with a lot of the outdoor writing is like, take a typical magazine feature that might be, you know, 1,800 words or 2,000 words, you can tell an interesting story in that, in, in that, in those confines, but you can't tell somebody like what your process is when you, when you decide to go to Oklahoma or Nebraska or wherever to hunt whitetails, like, this is how I'm mapping it out. This is what I'm thinking about. This is what I'm going to do. I'm looking for this, this, and this, like you're so limited. So a lot of times it just becomes like, well, I, you know, this is what I did and you boil it down to how you killed something. Yeah. But you miss, you miss hundreds of details in that just, just due to the brevity of the situation. And so it's like, that's kind of no man's land for, 
conveying information. And it, it's okay to tell a hunting story, but the way that we like to we like to consume our media now is one picture with a clever caption or yeah. you know some dudes like us talking for a couple hours telling talking about our strategy and kind of getting through to where like the the really good nuggets of information are and you know for me i was just like and I, i've written a lot of articles I've, I've done this thing a long time and i just enjoy what i always did was enjoyed interviewing people and getting into conversations you know you guys call me up and we start talking about fishing and it's like I can make instant friends with people who like the same stuff I like. Yeah. And, you know, now you can build a business out of that, out of your house after you spend a couple hundred bucks at B&H or, you know, Amazon or whatever. I mean, it's incredible. Mm-hmm. And so I think it's just a natural progression to get into the podcast world and, and just, you know, kind of read the room. You know, what do people want? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense for sure. Um, I was, you know, kind of definitely, like my sister is a writer. Um, she's... Um, written a book or two she's written several books um but uh, her most recent effort um as soon as she finished the book a book actually was published that she was like this is the exact same storyline so there's no point in me even trying to do this thing right now and so she's she's actually working on another one and mom you know that's she was uh two-time state champion in riding in in high school she's a great rider um my mom and my my uh, wife actually uh, get to read all of her, you know, all of her books before, you know, she get they she get they get to read the rough drafts and all that. So, yep. um, you know, it's pretty. I'm kind of connected to that. I I like to write, um, but I don't really have time to do much more writing than songwriting. Um, so I'm a musician, yep. you know, and I do that, and that's a big part of me. Like I actually wrote a song last night, you know, and uh, I was telling KC about it. Not and, and that, that doesn't happen all that often anymore just because you get kids and, and life going on and stuff. But, um, like it really is, um, it really is an art and an, and an art is something that, um, I don't know. Sometimes I, I was talking to my wife about this the other day and I was like, man, sometimes just some of the arts are just so, um, like you can focus, solely on doing the best job at that art that you can do and it'll probably be undervalued or underappreciated by people because there's there's also like this whole aspect of like salesmanship right and then so like for for you you know it may whether it's you being a salesman or not um you know somebody has to sell your writing you know so um that you know maybe outdoor life or whoever it is you know their marketing department but um you know I don't know if that's like if you can kind of speak to that whole that whole uh, kind of thought there with like uh, uh, balancing like salesmanship and then, you know, how you uh, you know, how art uh, how is important to you, I guess. I know this is like probably pretty far from uh, hunting, but we're kind of (laughs) we're kind of all over the place in this in this. Uh, I'm I'm fascinated by it. I mean, dude, I love music. I play guitar every day. Like I hear somebody say that they're writing songs and. I'm I, I, at this point in my life, if somebody's doing something like that, that makes them happy, w- commercially successful or not, I'm like, do it, go for it. Mm-hmm. Like, cause people are, people hear that and they're watching that and that's like inspiring to them. You know I mean? Mm-hmm. It's the same thing, you know, when you have those buddies that run the ultra marathons or whatever, like, I mean, that's kind of an extreme example, but those kind of people, I, I freaking love it. So <laughs> for, for me, like to hear, to hear you say that, I'm like that, that's awesome. And for me, like when you're, when you're asking me, like what I think you're asking me is like, 
do I write? Like, who do I write for? Mm -hmm. Because there's, there's pressure, you know, from the sales side of things like, Oh, you know, write a broadhead review that talks about how amazing this broadhead is, you know? And like the sales team loves that. The advertisers love that. The, like the, the subscribers, I don't know. I think they're like, uh, dude, we see right through this. We understand what you're doing here. Mm-hmm. They'll tolerate some of it. If it comes from a place of like, I actually use this thing on, you know, for a month straight out in the bush and loved it or whatever. Like if it, if it comes from a place where there seems to be some like integrity to it, some genuineness to it, I think they like it yeah. or, you know, they'll tolerate it, but you can also write for the audience which is what I, I push for a lot, which is like, hey, if they're telling me they want public land stuff, I'm going to work my butt off on public land. I'm going to write about hunting public land. Like, I'll tell you the stories. I'll tell you the process. And, you know, you get a little pushback from that, from the people who are the number crunchers or who are working off the sales commission. But you have to find that balance. And then some stuff you just do for yourself. Mm-hmm. Like, you just I just want to write this. And, it, you know, so that's kind of like i don't know if that makes sense or not but that's yeah. kind of why the podcast thing matters to me like i just want to talk to interesting people about hunting <laughs> like yeah, yeah. It's, it's like it's a selfish thing i hope people want to listen but it's not there's not a there's a way different kind of pressure there you're like i i hope the audience gets enjoys this like i hope when they're mowing the lawn or they're going for a run or they're driving to work and they listen they're like yeah this is interesting or it's inspiring or whatever and it's to me i i think that stuff's awesome like when you you go home and write a song. I think that's freaking cool. Like, keep doing that. Sure, because yeah. that's wh- whether it's for anyone, whether it goes anywhere or not. That stuff is. It, I think it's like valuable to the world. Not to get like totally hippie on you. No, but I think, dude, you're right think, up my alley here, hippie. <laughs> <laughs> dude, I, I think I think being positive, and I I think this. I think we need positive stuff, and I think we need people who are like, you know what. I'm going to do some cool stuff. You can come along for the ride or not, or you do go do your own thing, but just like be happy and do cool things. Yeah. yeah. How, I mean, how are you? So, so the, the, the section that is, I'm going to do this for myself. Like, how does that fit in? Uh, as far as like, for instance, I mean, and okay. Just like as a, as a little bit of a, um, I guess back info on me. Um, I turned in a band for, almost 10 years, two bands and, uh, had pretty decent success, um, for a few years here and there. Um, but, and so like, I have some ideas on this, but I just, I just interested in kind of picking your brain on this. Like where does, where does, uh, doing something for yourself with full integrity, uh, like where does that fit into the whole picture of like, I'm going to make a living at doing something that I love. You know what I mean? A hundred percent, man. So you just keep fighting the good fight. So there's certain things I'll write just for a paycheck because I need it. Mm-hmm. And I'm just like, I'm not, I'm not going to hide it, hide from that. Like I, you can see that anywhere if you look hard enough, mm-hmm. like, and the people that will tear me down for that, you know, like I, if I went to their jobs, I'd be like, Oh really? Do you want to sell this car today? Like, <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah. Did, did you want to attack, attach that rider to that insurance policy? Like, come on, like everybody, like you got to make a living. Yeah. But the good thing about, you know, if you have a little bit of a creative bent or you have the drive to do this kind of stuff is you can do extra things or you can, you can try to shape the way the content is in a way that you feel good about it. 
mm-hmm. you know, and, and somebody's always going to be there to, to knock it down or, you know, you're, you're going to have competing interests trying to get you to do certain things. But if, if you're doing a good enough job and there's enough demand for it, you can get away with a lot. And, you know, that's, it's, it's a, it's just that balance between, you know, whatever maybe title you're writing for and the sales guys and the editor and the audience and just personally what you want. And you just kind of try to fight that fight where you're like, uh, you know, I, I, I will be successful if people want to read my stuff or they want to hear me talk. So mm-hmm. I better listen to them. Yeah, you know, sure. like if, if what they're asking for is a certain kind of thing that, you know, kind of like those, yeah, I don't know if you know the hunting public guys, but yeah. those guys, I mean, they're out there and they're like, Hey, you guys want us to go hunt out West? And you know, I mean, they have this stuff kind of planned out, but they're like, yeah, go do that. And they're, they're checking with their audience. You know, Randy Newberg does that all the time. You'd be mm-hmm. like, Hey, what do you guys want us to talk about? And that, like, you know, when you're kind of like your own identity, your own your own little thing, you can you're like the speedboat versus the aircraft carrier, right? Like the company that owns all of the magazines doesn't. It's not very nimble. It's not going to move. You know, it's gonna it's gonna be slow to turn that thing. And when you kind of do what we do, you can be like, okay, I'll try something new. Or you know, I I enjoy this. Does anybody else? Let's see where this goes. Mm-hmm. And I, I love I love that part of it. Yeah, yeah. me too, man. What's your uh, like your total escape? You know, you're talking about like trying to, to meld that uh, blend of like Tony, what he likes to do, and also make a living doing it. Like, if you're just gonna like escape and write something that you, it's completely a passion project, what are you gonna write about? Um, I'm mostly write novels for that, for just just to feel like I'm I'm writing, but it's for no one but me. Just yeah. whatever I say, that's where I go with it, and that's that's like a that's like fool's gold, man. Cause you're like, Oh, you know, this is, here's the shiny thing. I want to go chase it. And then it's really fun to write the, like the first draft. I'm sure your sister knows this. Like, <laughs> like the first draft's fun, man. Like you're just like, I got this story and it just comes from somewhere and you get that sucker down and then it's all the work. It's like elk hunting. Like you, once you shoot that elk, you're like, Oh God, like now, now, like, that's when everything comes in and the editing process and the rewriting process. Cause if you're going to go do, if you're going to write a novel, you're like, well, I, I kind of want to see, see this out in the world. Right. Mm-hmm. But once you get it finished, it, once you get that first draft finished, then you're like, okay, now I got to go through an editing process and your editor is going to be like, Hey, you got to rewrite this, 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 and this. And I'm like, it, it, then everything changes. So you get into that point where it's like, I hate this. And then once you get it done, you're like, kind of, kind of have the urge to do that. It's kind of like camping or getting a puppy. Like (laughs) the idea of it and certain parts of it are awesome. Yeah. You know, like, it's like, it's like people would think being a musician, you're like, oh man, you go to go on, you know, play on stage every day and you work for an hour and a half and it's awesome. Mm -hmm. And they see nothing about the songwriting process and the rehearsal and the touring and the business side of things and the work. They just see like the one part and, you know, it's just, yeah. There's a lot to it. So anyway, that's that's kind of the escape. Yeah, yeah. Man, it's, and it's, it doesn't sound like a very good one, probably. No, no, no it's great, man. I mean, that's I have uh, some pretty pretty simple sounding things that are escape or escapism for me, you know. So, but uh, it's it's just and you hit the nail on the head, you know. Um, I re- relate a lot of things to music on the on this podcast just because I had a lot of experience there. But man, it really is. It's uh, you know. Um, 
you know, if even like, you know, us bringing a YouTube video to, to our audience here, I mean, they didn't see the hours we sat in a truck and like, you know, I know it sounds uh, stupid, but like, honestly, like the fast junk food that we had to eat, you know, like instead of like having a decent meal at home, you know, or whatever, um, you know, and, and same thing with the music is like, I used to always uh, complain to people. I was like, man, you know, we get these people that want us to play a private event and uh, they want to know how much, you know. And so we'll, we're like, well, you do understand that we don't just like project our voices. There has to be a sound system and lighting, too, if it's going to be at night because we can't see our instruments. You know, like they don't think about the, the, the certain things. And that's just and that's not, uh, you know, they're just ignorant. Um, and it's not like a big, you know, it's not their fault necessarily. But uh, yeah, they that's don't, they pretty, don't know what you took what what it takes to do what you sure do. yeah and I can't even imagine what it, what it's like to write or to be good enough and to have put in the work to become good enough to write a novel man that just sounds like uh, just such a crazy task to me but it's it's really cool that you do that man and and um, you know good thing that we have guys that you like you that have the uh, the values you do, man, that, that, that are out there putting out, uh, meeting, uh, media for the hunting world, you know? Yeah. So. I think it's cool too, that like you didn't say, man, I really like to, you know, I like to get down and write a good camo article or, you know, whatever, something that's, I think it's interesting that you completely left the hunting scape for your escape, not to make a rhyme there, but you know, like it's, it's cool that, that you, that's something that in okay, I'm gonna use the air quotes again on industry, right? Like in the industry, people kind of ignore that they have a life outside of hunting in the yep. outdoors. And don't get me wrong, it's a huge part of my life, right? But I'm also a carpenter and I'm a youth minister and I do a lot of other other stuff, right? So it doesn't you don't have to, you know, eat, sleep, breathe, blood and guts this stuff all the time to be passionate about it. And I think that's cool that that you, you know, find a escape somewhere else other than you know, writing about something in the hunting world. Well, I think you have to, man. And I Mm -hmm. think what you said about all the other things you do, I mean, that's everybody. And it's, that's one of the reasons why, like, I'm, I'm, I try in my life not to be super judgy about people, you know, and like, we see this tribalism and we see people hating on people all the time for like one thing, you know, I mean, the, the easiest example for us to understand is somebody who hates hunting finds out you're a hunter. They don't care about anything else. Yeah, Yeah. you're you're an evil monster if you go, you know, push rabbits around and shoot them and eat them like they don't they're they're not going to take into account being a father or your job or where you came from or anything else. It's just you you have this one part of your life and they're going to be like, you're a horrible person because that I think that's just crazy. It is crazy, man. I was talking about this with my wife last night, man, because we where Casey and I are is like big dairy country. I mean, we've got like the Southwest Dairy Museum in Sulphur Springs. Oh, it's here. a riot, man! It's like you know, it's like a real deal, man. There's like giant cow statues, you no, know, in the hometown. It's in front of my high school. So yeah. when I went to high school, like you're telling people how to get to your school, just turn left at the cows. It's like <laughs> yeah. the giant porcelain yeah. cows. It's so like you know, dairy uh, dairy farmers are like a big like historical you know a heritage of of our area and and um we're they're doing some kind of dairy uh like festival pretty soon i think and there's supposed to be a bunch of like activists that are gonna um come and you know stand on the streets in cow suits and stuff and like just cause a riot you know and it's like and this is a small town man obviously you know and uh and and so i was like i was like man i was talking to my wife i was like man i've noticed so many people like having issues with dairy farming and 
and dairies and, and all this stuff lately. Like, what is the deal? And she was like, you know, it's just social media. Like, people just, they can just find one thing and they can just gripe about it, you know? And yep. and it, it doesn't matter, like, who you are. Same thing you said, you know? It doesn't matter, like, who you are. If you like to drink milk, then you're a bad person all of a sudden, you know? Yeah. So it's it's <laughs> insanity to me. It, it is. And I grew up in a little dairy farming community, too. I'm, I'm pretty familiar with those people. And <laughs> you literally could not find a harder working group of people than dairy farmers. Oh, yeah. I, oh, yeah. Like, it, it would be tough. It would be, a, it would be a tall order to find people who work harder and who have less malice in their hearts. Like, those are not people who are out there trying to bring bad stuff into the world. Right. Like, that's... And to like to protest that, I'm I always think about that like in the from the hunting perspective, like the the animal rights activists they hate us, right? Mm-hmm. So if if there's like a coyote, you know, competition, hunting competition or whatever, or something that they can protest that's related to hunting, they're going to do it in a heartbeat. But they don't just go stand at Burger King and yell at all the people eating burgers, you know? Mm-hmm. Like they they there's like a selective hate to it, yeah. you know? And it's like it's just so silly. Like, I'm like, man, man. like you think like you've convinced yourself that you're doing something good for the world and you're just making it a worse place. Oh yeah. It's, it's ridiculous, man. And the thing that always gets me, and this might be something that's repeated by other people. I don't know, but like the most peaceful, cleanest death an animal will ever experience is that by a hunter. Every other death that they will experience in the wild is going to be more violent or more painful than what we inflict. And you take that and combine it with the fact that somehow, some way an animal has to die for you to eat what you're going to eat. And I don't care if it is a green bean, somebody put pesticides on that green bean and a bug died. Like it's here. You, you, you know, the farmer drove from his organic farm and squished bugs on the windshield. Like there's always things that are going to die. Right. So, if you just yep. try to ignore that death happens, you're going to live in la-la land, and then you're going to end up pro- protesting dairy cows, right? Like, that's just yeah. it's just a big cycle. I don't know. And maybe that's the that's the disconnect that uh, it's kind of coming for full circle to, you know, like hunting media. Like, if we portrayed it for so long as, like, you know, guys on 1,000-acre farms killing 200-inch 200, 200 deer— mm-hmm. And that's all it seems that it's cared about. We're kind of ignoring the fact that you're you're killing a wild creature and you're making it a touch less wild, so people kind of become disconnected from it, you know. And, and for, yeah, for sure, we did, we don't we haven't done ourselves any favors by presenting the image, you know. I, we haven't controlled the narrative very well. We look like all we care about is giant animals, mm-hmm. and you know that that's a general statement, but like. If somebody from the outside is looking in and they're looking at hunting media, they're going to be like, wow, these guys just want big stuff to die. Yeah. And, you know, with that, part of that has changed some with Ranella and that kind of yeah, mentality. It's good. But it's not, you know, <laughs> we, we got a long ways to go yet. But, you know, what you what you said about that disconnect with a lot of people and, you know, animals and farming and the whole natural thing like that is that is a major problem we face and these people you know that that hate what we do or they hate dairy farmers or something and they eat organic and they think they're being responsible they're silly their Mm -hmm. heads are in the sand i live around organic vegetable farms 
here in I, I I go for a run. Like I went for a run today. I ran by two organic vegetable farms in the suburbs of the Twin Cities. Mm-hmm. These places, if you go knock on their door and you ask them to hunt, they're gonna let you hunt, guaranteed. <laughs> you know why? Because they want it, they want lots of carrots to grow. Sure. So yeah, if you yeah. kill their deer, they if you kill their deer, carrots will grow. They'll mm-hmm. have more tomatoes to sell you. And I don't. I, I'm not sure if I've ever told this on a podcast, but I was running. One time, I don't know, probably two or three years ago, and there's one organic vegetable farmer right down the road from my house. I run by there all the time, and they they hire a bunch of high school kids to to work there in the summer, weeding and you know manning the fields and whatever. And I ran by one day, and all these girls were standing at the end of this row of tomatoes, and they were hacking away with their hose. And I stopped. I said, "What are you What are you guys doing?" And the one girl came over and she said, we have to go through and pull all the caterpillars off all the plants and we take them to the end and we chop them up. Hmm. And, and so you think, okay, I'm, I'm going organic. They're not using pesticides, right? Uh Well, I saw a whole bunch of caterpillars that would have been beautiful monarchs or whatever kind of butterfly getting just tore up. (laughs) By these little high school girls, because that was their job. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like, and, and then you can look out there and you can see, you know, gopher traps. And I know during the hunting season, they're pounding the deer in there. So I'm like, this, this is the, like the facade of innocence here. Like this is, this is a veil that these people think that their, their demand for a certain kind of vegetable and not for a steak is like way more responsible. That's silly. Yeah. Yeah. But how do we, I mean... I've said this, and it's been a while since I've said this, but how do we change that narrative? Because we can't do it talking on hunting podcasts. You know what I mean? Like, we uh-huh. can't, we can't, it's not, it doesn't reach anybody but hunters. And so, like, how do we, how do we reach different people uh, that need to hear that, that narrative, I guess? Um, That's a good question, man. I think, I think there's a possibility to reach uh, the larger non-hunting public through through two ways. Like one is just grassroots, like telling people those stories. Sure. Like when when somebody's like, "Hey, I love organic." Like, "Oh, really?" You know, like letting them know what's really going on and saying like, it, you, you, know, you, don't, "You don't have to be a prick about it, but you can be honest about like this is the reality of what's going on." Mm-hmm. And there's a couple big platforms, you know, like I, I'm sure you guys listen to Joe Rogan, like that dude has done an awful lot for awareness of hunting, even though like his, his talking about hunting, he's like, he's coming from a different place. Like when you're, you know, when you're hunting $12,000 bulls on the desert with Chris Pratt, like you're in a different world, but he's still like the best conduit we have for the most responsible hunting talk you're going to get. That's going to reach the biggest audience in the world. Mm -hmm. And so like I think, and, and Rennell on a smaller scale, he, he, he talks a lot about reaching non-hunters. Like they, they get a good response out of non-hunters who just think he's interesting. Mm-hmm. So those dynamic personalities, like there's a, like, it's not a lost cause. Like guys like us talking on these podcasts, no non-hunters are going to listen to it. Yeah. Right. But I think, I think like there's a decent chance that more people are going to at least are, are, are going to be able to hear it, whether they, whether it changes them or they acknowledge it, you know, they they might dig their, you know, dig their heels in who knows but i think at least it's better now than it has been i think there's an awareness that that can happen yeah i feel like 
you know, Joe, Joe Rogan, for my, my understanding of his story of coming into the hunting space is through Cameron Haynes. Um, and so like, in my opinion, I, I, if that's the truth, I see that as like kind of, um, almost like a, a responsibility that, um, some, some of the big media guys in hunting should kind of like take, take on themselves, I guess, you know, it's like, Hey, yeah. how do, you know, instead of like, uh, you know, me just going hunting all the time and, you know, making, making TV shows about it or whatever, like, how do I take this relationship I have with so-and-so, uh, rap artist or whatever, you know what I mean? Like, you know, whoever it might be, that's got like a huge, you know, following. Uh, and you, you know, these, some of these guys, they, you know, you know what I'm talking about. They, they hang with like people of the same caliber, the same social status and and such. So like they need to, they need to find a way to like do that more often. You know what I mean? So that we can reach (laughs) those people. That's kind of like something they should be held accountable to. I feel like, you know, um, uh, I'm not going to disagree with you there. I don't know how you, uh, I don't know how you get up to, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if you're going to go up to Cameron and lecture him on not, uh, preaching the right things or not. But no, I mean, I, I, I just think that they're, they're not, and I'm not talking about him necessarily. Just, I think there are a lot of guys that, uh, you know, have some status that should, uh, should sure. maybe think about that and try to do that a little bit more often. Cause they're the guys that can make a huge impact. And I I don't disagree at all. And I also think, I mean, I think even more, uh, maybe, maybe it's too late for this, but on the same vein, that that's part of the reason why I felt like some of the, the publications I was working for and the companies I was working for on the print side were failing us because we weren't even, we wouldn't even have that conversation. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's, it's a different audience, but it's not a small audience. And so, you know, it, we, it's easy to think that like Cameron Haynes is larger than life because of his amazing following. And he does have a good following, but there are a lot of brands out there that have a, they're reaching a lot of people and it might be largely an endemic crowd. So it might be the echo chamber you're already talking about, mm-hmm. but to, to not try or to at least not explore the possibility that we could reach out and maybe, you know, bridge the gap a little bit and get some positive information out there that that sucks that mm-hmm. that should be done it, it should have been done a long time ago but it's still a possibility so it's not just that like i, I don't want to single an individual out because you don't know i mean it, who knows how many people cameron haynes has brought into the fold oh, you know, it's more a ton. Than, yeah it's more than most people right yeah and but it, it but you're right like there's if we can do better we should be doing better you yeah, know? yeah for, for sure, sure. and i think that that's you know as we obtain platforms speaking like the three of us here you know, it's something that we're going to have a responsibility to do. And uh, I don't know, I think it's good to bounce off, you know, ideas off of each other of, of how to do that. Because, man, it's it's really easy for us to walk into a room of hunters and have something to talk about. Like what you were talking about earlier. You know, we started talking about fishing. Like, hey, we're buddies, right? But yep. <laughs> if you can't bridge that gap with someone, you know, where how do you do it? Where do you find it? So, you know, how is Tony Peterson... Uh, through his writing, I'm not going to put you on the spot too much here, but like, how how has your baseline shifted as what you used to write about, as opposed to like what you try to write about now? Oh, that's a good question, man. Um, I'm you know I've been pushing the public land thing for ten years now, so I've been doing that a long time, and I, I would say uh, honestly, I've gone more from like how to 
like trying to take you from point A to point B, like yeah. point A being not having a dead buck to point B having one mm-hmm. to just go have the experience. Like, you know, way less focus on the big bucks and way more focus on, you know, life, life is slipping by, man. Like go do something cool. Just like, you know, if you think you can't afford it, you know, people like we talked about crazy hunts, right? We talked about South Africa and Argentina and these things that are expensive, crazy. But most of the hunts I do every single year in my life are over the road, over the counter public land hunts where I camp. Mm-hmm. So they cost me, you know, 500 bucks tag and everything included 600 bucks. Like there, there are adventures out there you can have and you can hunt cool stuff. You can hunt mule deer or antelope. You can go hunt elk. It's going to cost you a little more, mm-hmm. but go my, my, my focus has kind of shifted. I mean, I still write some of the how to stuff. Um, cause there's just such a big demand for it in the whitetail world. But my, I, you know, my ideas have kind of shifted. Like my, my perspective has shifted where I'm like, I just want people to understand that they can 100% make something like this happen. Hmm. And just to go experience it, even if it's a turkey hunt, like if you've never, if you've never gone and you have the bend to do it, go do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's interesting you say that about the how to stuff, because I mean, pretty much the most powerful guy in in our world right now the hunting world is going to be Renella. like he's the guy everybody listens to what he says he's compelling and i've listened to most of his podcasts there ain't a lot of how-to going on over there you know it's a lot of storytelling and i think that's why everybody's drawn to steven so well because he can tell a story and i think that that's something that we're missing as hunters is we got so caught up with this whole like how do you get it done to instead telling about what happened while you're out there you know and i think you and i've talked about this off air some but like man we're missing a huge aspect of what this used to be because it used to be it used to be a community and now it's more of an activity where like you hunters were like a thing and like you you did it as a community and it's a thing that like everybody grew up doing and like you had fun doing and you had hunting camp and all these different things that made it like so uh just a part of who you are and now instead it's kind of like uh a master's degree that takes a long time to get and then you may or may not get paid off you know it might be like a master's in psychology or something you know like where you don't get paid (laughs) you know and that's kind of what it's turned into but i think that telling that story and throwing the human aspect back into hunting will be huge for hunting being able to continue um and at least having participation. Yep. Well, that's, I mean, that man, you hit it right on the head there. Like the, the hardest way to get somebody in and get them to stay is by bringing somebody in and having them believe there's higher expectations than there should be. Yeah. So somebody comes in and they're like, it's a one fifty or bust that, that dude's gone in three years and he's back to the golf course. Mm -hmm. If, if somebody comes in and you're like, Hey, no pressure, do what you want. Take the shot. Don't take the shot, whatever, but see what it's like to be out here at sunrise in the woods, that person. And that, I mean, that's why a lot of women are coming in now and they're doing a hell of a lot better than the men because they just generally seem to be less like worried about, you know, having to kill a big trophy and competing. They're just kind of like, Oh, I'm just going to take this for what it is. It's it's the same thing. And and Tyler, I'm sure you've experienced this. Like if you go to, if I go to teach somebody guitar and I've got a, I've got a, 
guy sitting on one side of the couch and a woman sitting on the other side of the couch, brand new to guitar. And they're like, I just want to learn how to play. The guy's like, teach me Metallica solos right now. And <laughs> the woman's like, all right, what, what are scales? What's this C chord? How do I hold my fingers? And like a different process. And this is a generalization here, but we, we as men were like, we got to be the, the biggest, baddest right away. And it's hard sometimes to realize like, Hey, this is like a, a multi multi year thing to get anywhere near good at it. And you don't have to be good at it to love it. Like you don't have to be killing giant bucks to love every second of being out there. And that's like a, that message until you, until you can get somebody out there. And I think this kind of leads back to what we were talking about before. Like how do, how do we get more people in or how do we get this message out? Like, okay, if you don't have Cameron Haynes platform, what can you do? Cause is there a responsibility not only on him, but there's a responsibility on every one of us. Mm-hmm. So what if you could just bring one person in, right? Like mm-hmm. what if all of us just brought one person in a year and gave them one chance or gave them one month or one season. And like, we had somebody who was like, I would love to quail hunt, but I don't know how, or I would love to bow hunt deer. I just think that's cool. Like what if we just took one person in mm-hmm. and just said, we'll, we'll, we'll provide the platform. You stick around if, if, if you want or not. I mean, we we could do amazing things yeah. but it's like we're not going that direction we talk about it a lot but we're going the other direction where we like want to preserve our spots and we want to have <laughs> like exclusive access and it's dangerous ground yeah, yeah it is man it's such a it's such a weird weird thing uh because uh what's well, ultimately creeping in there is like selfishness you know and uh and that you know part of that stems from that whole, like, I, I want to shoot a big, bigger deer than anybody else or whatever kind of thing, you know, and like to kind of carry on your thought there with the, the music analogy, which I loved, but, um, I like instead of, Hey, instead of wanting to learn this Metallica solo or all these Metallica solos, um, think what, what you uh, like what your experience would be if i taught you three chords and then you wrote lyrics um that talked about some some big experience that you went through or something that mean means a lot to you and you wrote a song and it doesn't it's not really that hard but it can mean a lot more to you and in the same instance with with hunting it's like it's the same way like you don't have to you know uh kind of tune into the guy who's the baddest in the world and try to be that guy who can, you know, go hang and hunt out of a tree saddle, you know, and kill every deer that ever lived on public land and the farthest places to have a great experience that like means a lot to you still. And I can, I can relate that back to just like me sitting in that box blind at nine years old and shooting my first buck, which is just a little one and a half year old. And like, I haven't ever have not been as excited to shoot a deer as I was in that moment. You know what I mean? Since. So, yeah. um, but yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, and kind of while we're on the hunting thing, I guess, um, you know, what is, what does next year look for, look like for you, man? Are you going to, you going to visit any new ground? I know you are like, you've been all over, man, as far as hunting public land in different States and stuff like that. Are you going to revisit anything or what does that look like next year, man? Um, you know, I got some big plans this year. Um, I did a lot of public land whitetails last year. I think I, I think I did five states totally on public land last year, and that wow. was that was a lot, mm-hmm. you know. And it was that was all whitetails. And so this year, I'm planning to go to Alaska to do my first flying hunt, hunt with a buddy to do caribou, oh, and then um, yeah, I mean, I've just I've never been to Alaska, and the opportunity came up, and he's like, let's just do it. And I'm like, all right. And so 
I've got that kind of tentatively scheduled. I'm getting a little nervous because we're having trouble finding somebody to fly us in, but I think we'll get it squared away. <laughs> and so that, that that's how I'm going to kick off my season, which is going to be crazy. And then I'm coming home for a few days, and I'm going to Colorado to do 10 days in the Elk Mountains with a buddy of mine. And we're going to just go. I, I, I think he's going to have higher standard than me. I'm going to. I'm hunting any legal elk that's mm-hmm. in front of me, and I think I'm going to get a bear tag too because. Some of the areas I, I anticipate we're going to end up hunting, uh, the the over-the-counter bear tag is super cheap there now, mm-hmm. and I think you could glass one up and stalk it. So it'll be kind of just, you know, it won't be the primary focus, but if, you know, if I can stalk a bear, I, I don't have much interest in hunting them over bait anymore, but if I see one I could stalk, I'm going to go do it because yeah. it'll just be a cool, cool deal. And then... You know, I'll do the Minnesota, Wisconsin, Whitetail thing. I'm going to do North Dakota again because I just love hunting that public land out there. And I'm kind of looking for one. I I, I kind of got a little bit of space left, and I'm kind of looking for one new state or one new spot in a state. I'm not sure. I'm not sure what that'll be. It'll be a short trip, so it'll probably be somewhere in a state. Like it'll be a state I've hunted, but probably not a place I've been to. Because gotcha. I I, don't, I just I love the new stuff, man. Like you know, you talk about teaching somebody a couple chords and writing a song. Like what what that says to me is just like challenge yourself to do something interesting like mm-hmm. challenge yourself to to do something that's going to make you feel like you accomplished something and when it comes to just like traveling to hunt deer i mean it sounds stupid but like i love that part of it so much when you're mm-hmm. just like all right i'm going to a new place i'm going to give myself four days i'm going to do all the research ahead of time that i can but when you show up it's always different there's always different stuff going on different factors you don't think about and it feels so good to get it right, just to just to see them, let alone arrow one. Yeah, and I think I think that experience is valuable. Oh yeah, and it's so rewarding when it does happen. And I don't know what it is. And maybe well, I actually haven't killed a lot of stuff out of state. Actually, well, whitetails at all, but uh, I still feel like I've had success and just encounters and maybe that's you know like a participation award I don't know but like <laughs> it, it it uh it seems to go better than what you think it would when you get out there and do it honestly and I yeah. don't know maybe I'm just trying to be too rah-rah and encouraging to folks but I mean honestly man when you go out there and you take the leap to go somewhere new and try it out and if you set your expectations low and you just want to have a good time a lot of times you're going to see some animals and you're going to have a really good time and maybe get a shot at, at a deer. And it's it's cool. Yeah. And I mean, for me, just I've recently started traveling out of state to hunt whitetails. And that's that's kind of the big takeaway for me is that, man, it goes right a lot more than what you think it would. I don't know. Maybe there's something to like just getting stuck in your like old ruts at home and you kind of have this Oedipus complex where you 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 work so hard at it that it actually doesn't go as well. And then whenever you go somewhere different and try something new, it just kind of falls into place. But I, I, I think you're right. And I think it's, I think traveling to hunt with realistic expectations and that also the expectation to just like, enjoy it. Like this is going to be just cool. No, no matter how this shakes out, there's going to be a fun experience. I think you always hunt better that way like with that mentality because you just don't get hit by like that you know paralysis by analysis where Mm -hmm. you're like you you know i have to kill a big one so what's the best way to do this or you know like i didn't see one last night so like i have to start out why like what do i have to do to make this happen and like there's like something to just kind of go with the flow hunting where you're like man i'd just be happy if a 
scrapper six pointer walked by and I thumped him. Like I wouldn't care. <laughs> you, you, and I, and I do this. Believe me, I know this because I do this. When you go with that mentality, it seems like you know it's it seems like the the hunting the decisions you make they they tend to be right a lot of times. And what's crazy about it is all that pre-hunt research you can do. A lot of times you've put yourself in a position where if you hunt with a good attitude, you'll be around a good one. And it it, it surprises me how often it happens. It's, it's like by no means a guarantee, but it's not as rare as you'd think if you put in the research and you go hunting with the idea that you're just going to enjoy it. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. And I think that, too, something I'm learning and kind of look forward to experimenting with in the future is uh, – I kind of have this thing where if I spend a good bit of money on a tag and it's going to a state that's known for big bucks, I kind of already have that expectation because I I want to go kill a big deer because that's what people do there. And then I spend a lot of money on the tag, so I feel like I owe it to it. When yep. there's a ton of states in the in the lower 48 that have some really awesome public opportunities in some pretty wild places and some varied terrain, you know, big woods or open country or whatever it might be that you can go hunt fairly inexpensively. And if you go out there and knock over a meat buck, like it's going to be success and you're going to high five and rah, rah, you know, and go yep. go back and eat tenderloins and it's going to be awesome. So I kind of think that, that you're onto something there with just putting a lot less emphasis on the trophy side of it and just, experiencing something great because that's that's what we all really love to do is just go have that great experience for sure and it you know i think there's a couple of of side benefits to that that i mean they're they're just awesome to begin with like if if you're in the mindset where you're going to travel to hunt you're probably also in the mindset with being cool getting in shape like that's just it's just you 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 realize if you go travel somewhere especially elk hunting that you're like, you know, like nobody ever gets in too good a shape to Elkhart, right? So <laughs> you, you go to Elkhart and you're like, man, I, I could just all year long, I could I could be working a little harder to be in better shape. And it's, it, I see this on whitetail hunts all the time. And that, that's like a nice side benefit because it's inspiration to just keep going to the gym and keep running, doing whatever and just get your get your body better. But the other benefit, I think, is when you go, you know, you, you guys are in Texas. If you go to Kansas and hunt the plains, or you went up to Nebraska and hunted the sand hills, or you know northwest corner, and you were in the Pine Ridge area. You'd be a vastly different kind of hunt, probably, than a lot of stuff you're used to. It's just like me, where I live, I got a lot of deciduous forests. Um, you know, if I go hunt northern Wisconsin, it's it's like you know big woods, swamps, and then I go out to Nebraska and it's wide open or wherever. And I mm-hmm. think the more you do that as a hunter the more like you just build, like you get a, little, a few more tools in your, in your kit, you know, you're like, mm-hmm. I'm, I get more comfortable, you know, cause the whitetails are largely the same. And so it's the terrain and the pressure and the timing and the, in the weather, you know, regional local weather that changes. And so you kind of just learn like, man, the deer at home kind of do this, but here they seem to be doing this. And it's probably, you know, like there's a reason like nature doesn't do stuff by accident. And just overall, the more experience you do that, like it's like socializing a puppy, like the more comfortable they get being taken to new places and being petted by new people, they just, you just have a better dog overall to the rest of its life. It's Mm going to have less anxiety and stuff. And I think when we travel and you go hang with your buddies and you camp out in a new place, like it's an awesome experience and that that's worth it alone. But the more you do it, the more you realize, like, I'm just kind of getting better at this everywhere, and then you enjoy it more, and it spirals. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's cool, man. That's cool. That's a cool concept, man. I like that. Yeah, so kind of in wrapping up here, 
What state are you going to kill your tastiest whitetail in next year? <laughs> <laughs> so, man, I love to eat them. Um, the, it's a it's weird. I don't know why this is. So, you know, we have these like, uh, you know, the kind of myth misconceptions about the the taste of venison. Like, oh, that corn fed deer is going to be awesome, and that deer that lives in the north woods and hasn't seen a cornfield is going to be terrible. Yeah, I have I have not found that at all. I haven't either. I've, yeah. Yeah, I think I think it's total BS. I think yeah. what happened is a bad tasting deer is one that we didn't take care of very yeah. well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 96% of the time anyway. And I think, you know, I th- I think there's something too like the the adrenaline thing. So I think that's mm-hmm. why a lot of deer that are killed on like deer drives with gun hunters, I think, you know, there there's a perception on like that that are tough or gamey. It's like, yeah, I mean, I don't know. They've been scared to death while they're running through the, the gauntlet. You know, it's yeah. the same thing if you if you if you shoot one and you you know you bump him four times, you made a bad shot. He might not be as good. So I think it's like, I, I, just personally, I'm like, it doesn't have anything to do with where you're at. But that all that said, for some reason, the deer I shoot in Western North Dakota are just delicious and i don't know <laughs> i don't know why because you couldn't find a cornfield anywhere near where i'm hunting and you know they used to in the one area i really like hunting they used to have an irrigated alfalfa field there yeah. and it was, that was a private the private field they'd go to like that was the destination and so you'd hunt them coming and going and so it's like well yeah those 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 bucks have some groceries there that are lush and but that that field's been gone in the the one area I like. It's been fallow for I don't know, probably five years now, and I still hunt there. And now the deer that I watch, they don't care about that spot. They just browse, so they're eating like rabbit brush, and they're they're just browsers. Mm-hmm. But they're still delicious. So mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't know why. Maybe it's something in the water there, but I don't know why. <laughs> but every time we shoot some, and we shot. You know, back when you could get antelope tags there, I shot antelope there that were delicious. And I've shot mule deer out there in the same area. And just for some reason, maybe it's just the hunt, I don't know. But when you when you kill a deer out there, that sucker is it doesn't matter the age, it's just awesome. So I'm gonna if I was a betting man, I'm gonna say that's that's the deer that's gonna be the nummiest. Mm, that's a good answer. <laughs> Tyler is uh Tyler's licking his chops oh, over yeah. here. He's been thinking about <laughs> thinking about that area for quite a while and we might have to make it out there. It just sounds <laughs> awesome and there's nothing like uh, having fun and bringing home a tasty critter to throw uh, in in the deep freeze or anything. But, um, man, I can't thank you enough for coming on and talking to us. Yeah. I know we didn't have a ton of direction with what we were talking about, but, man, it's just good when conversation <laughs> flows and, and you can just chat about important stuff, that, you know, and that it, things that you care about. So if people want to, you know, hear more from you, more about Tony Peterson, what you do, what you're writing or what you're talking about, where can they, where can we send them to? Um, you know, the podcast first. So, you know, I, the hunt for real podcast, um, you know, we've got the website and all the, the social media stuff, you know, and I'm, I'm also a big bird dog guy. So I host sporting dog talk too. I have, I have two podcasts mm-hmm. and that's kind of my other identity. And then, you know, a lot of my writing ends up there. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm writing for bow hunter and meat eater and North American whitetail and gun dog and wildfowl and a bunch of magazines. So they can, you can find 
my articles till you're absolutely sick of them, however long that takes. <laughs> uh, they're they're out there, but you know the podcasts are you know that that's the direction I'm taking right now. I'm still doing a ton of writing, but I just love that that process. Like this, this what we just did right here, so fun for me. I can't believe this is part of my job. <laughs> I know it's <laughs> cool, too, man. man. I, I I'm glad it is because uh, it means you're more willing to talk to us than you would be if you weren't getting paid for it, <laughs> which we're not actually paying you. I, I, so I, hopefully, I, someone. I, somebody, hey, let's, let's, <laughs> Let's make this clear. I did not get paid to do this. I did this yeah, maybe somebody will send you a check. It won't be us. So. <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying I wouldn't take a check for this conversation. I'm just saying this was uh, this was all done out of pure love and nothing else. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Hey, whenever we get them to write, we will send you one. But uh, until then, <laughs> and uh, also, you know, if you really want to like practice having your expectations very low. You can probably feel that last little void down here in Texas where you're looking for something to, to, to hunt, but you're really going to have to practice what you preach on expectations. But invite's always I, I, open, I dude. You, I tell you what, dude, I'm going to do it because I, I did a lot of research on public land in Texas a few years ago, and I just didn't make it happen. And at some point, I just have to. I have to go down there just, just to say that I did, if nothing else, you know, and yeah. maybe, maybe I'll swing through Oklahoma on the way or something, but... I, I just, I, I love that that opportunity is there. And I would love to just, I, I'm, I got to get you guys on mine because I want to pick your brains about that topic more because I think, I don't, I don't know if there's anything in hunting that has more like myths and misconceptions than the Texas deer hunting experience, whether it's private or public. Oh yeah, man, I'm sure. about to get three soap boxes and stack them on top of one another. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> well, then we got to do it. Yeah, that's awesome, dude. Sounds we, good. we will, man. Thanks. That sounds good to us. Well, uh, until we talk again, dude, thanks for coming on the show. Awesome. Thanks for having me, guys. All right, we'll see you. Man, that was a fun conversation. I really thoroughly enjoyed that, dude. I know it, man. It's cool to like get to sit down and connect with somebody that you know you have like one thing in common with, but then you start getting down to some of the deeper stuff. And it's like, man, this is a brother from another mother. That's right, right here. dude. That's right, you man. Know? You start, you can like, feel, you can feel the fist pumps coming through the phone. You know what I mean? That's right. Uh, That's right. You know, speaking of good conversations, man, uh, we've had a few with um, Jess McLaughlin and Trent Fisher on the Backcountry series that we've been releasing. Man, those have been fun too. Yes, they have, dude. It's a lot of fun. A lot of good stuff to learn from. Uh, you know, people that just do different stuff than we do. And, mm. uh, I mean, you and I, I'll, I'll go ahead and speak for myself here, but, like, I never claim to be an expert about any or anything. Definitely not backcountry elk hunting, and that's what we're going to do this fall. So we decided to reach out to people who do know something about the backcountry. And uh, I think that those backcountry episodes of the first two have gone really well, and I can't wait for more of them. Yeah, man. I, being in the Gila this weekend, I was just like – constantly thinking about it man and uh you know just thinking about man it's so dry we're gonna have to have lots of water and this and that you know and yeah. all these different things and so it's definitely good that we got to interview all these people and i hope it helps people out week to week but uh it's releasing pretty much on tuesdays so far it's been so good but uh we'll try to keep it going on tuesday so be looking for our next guest next tuesday and uh we appreciate all the support you guys have given us and all the uh just love on that thing because it's uh it's a lot to put together and it's been a lot of uh kind of forward thinking and trying to make sure we get everybody lined up before i went on this trip and before you go on your vacation and everything else so it's been yeah uh, for sure it's been good if you want if you want to support us there's a couple ways you can do that all right Mm -hmm. we love itunes reviews they help us out a ton it helps us with our optimization 
and it helps us get in front of more ears, not in front of ears, <laughs> into more ears, <laughs> so more people can listen to us and hear all the good stories and stuff that we get from other people. And then also, Tyler's worked real hard to get our store going on our website. So if you're a fan of the element and you like the fact that we don't have to have sponsored ads or anything on our podcast, and this is just all free to you, then head over to our website, theelementwild.com, and check out some of the merch we've got. Uh, I think we've got like two different hats and a some shirts and some hoodies and all kinds of stuff right yeah dude yeah, yeah. Uh, hoodies are probably going out of style right now but honestly i'm gonna be i've brought my hoodie along and i'm gonna i'm sure like if you live in the right spot like some of our guests do you'll probably need a hoodie pretty much year round at yeah. some point so dude odds are you're gonna kick over in a hoodie like oh, if, yeah. if you aren't if it's not sweltering heat you're gonna be wearing a hoodie knowing <laughs> you so <laughs> yeah for sure dude yeah the, and we yeah. got a couple different hats and stuff like that so yeah that that's uh that is a good plug man i appreciate you saying that because that definitely does help us out man and uh, like like he said, you know, we get to keep this thing sponsor free. If you guys, I mean, if I, we know how many people are listening to this thing, and if and if uh, every single one of you just uh, bought a hat, much less gave us a dollar, this you know this would be able to continue on sponsor free for some time. So um, anyway, that's a good plug, man. Also, iTunes is fixing to kick the bucket, from what I understand, and. Um, it's basically no nothing doesn't mean anything to you guys, but uh, yeah, you can basically go into your podcast app um, on your phone if you have, uh, I guess whichever phone you have, but whatever podcast you have, uh, especially if it's a or whatever phone you have, if it's a um, iPhone though, the podcast app is basically Apple Podcasts. Uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Casey, and you can um, you can sit well, s- put your review in right there, right? You are correct. However, somebody somewhere didn't patent the right name, and there's another app that you can download called the Podcast App. Okay, that's not that not the oh, Apple yeah. one. Okay, but yeah. you'll find Podcast by Apple. It's a little purple thing. That, that's the place to be if you're on iTunes or if you're an Apple user. And if not, uh, actually, I really have gotten to where I like Spotify a lot. So if cool. you already have a Spotify account or. Um, you uh you know just think that that would be easy for you your android user whatever go go to spotify and check that out yeah for sure dude that's good uh good stuff man so i think you're about to get uh struck by lightning so i'm gonna let you take cover um but anyway <laughs> Thanks, man i appreciate it <laughs> yeah dude I'll, uh, hey good talking to you dude y'all be safe on the road and have a blast will do man all right remember this is your element living it You ever get that feeling the walls closing in, the concrete jungle suffocating you? You crave some wide open spaces, the chance to connect with nature, maybe in a spot all your own. Well, head over to land.com. They've got ranches, forests, mountains, streams, you name it. Search by acreage. You can search by location. You can search by the kind of hunting and fishing you're dreaming of. Land.com. It is where the adventure begins. Market House has the cleanest, leanest, juiciest meat and seafood shipped to your home overnight. 
Expect the service of a local butcher and the convenience of a large supplier. Unlike many online butchers, you can grab just one meal's worth or lock in for a subscription box. Choose from grass-fed and grass-finished beef, American Wagyu, free-range poultry, grass-fed lamb, wild-caught king crab, seafood, and more. For 15% off your first order, use code COUNTRY at checkout. Just visit MarketHouse.com. That's M-A-R-K-E-T-H-O-U-S-E dot com. And use the code COUNTRY.